Hey, this is Kim Davis. Welcome to another one-on-one podcast. And I have with me today Brian Melmet. He's VP of Insight Services at Exponential. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. So tell me a bit about Exponential, where it came from, what challenges it originally set out to solve for. Uh, So Exponential is a digital advertising experience provider. Um, We try to connect brands and consumers across desktop, laptop, and digital media, uh, sorry, and mobile media. Um, We've got uh, a global footprint, we've got uh, proprietary data, and we have custom ad solutions all aligning with our mission of providing a better, more relevant advertising experience uh, than what's out there right now. And originally California-based, but you say you're, you're global now. Yeah, yeah. We started in, uh, in the Bay Area um, and have since expanded uh, across the world um, and uh, just able to leverage the technology we built uh, for the U.S. And, and other countries. Excellent. Now, try and explore a bit more exactly where Exponential fits into the ecosystem. I understand you... Obviously, you have data, you develop audiences, you provide audiences. Are you also executing media buys, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're a full-stack provider, and uh, while there are opportunities to slice and dice and parcel out some of the value chain that we provide, our our belief, and this is certainly seen in the numbers, is that the system works best when it's all uh, working together and matched against one another. So our... uh, Our publisher network provides us with unique content through which we're able to derive consumer behavior and preferences through which we target the ad, the the advertising experiences. And those ad experiences themselves are customized and optimized based on our past experience with this value chain. Okay, makes sense. So the primary source of data is from the publishers. Do you take in data from other sources as well? Yeah, yeah, we're data agnostic. we're happy to ingest and are able to ingest uh, data from just about any third-party provider out there and uh, at the moment have uh, a live feed from uh, anywhere between nine, ten uh, different different third-party providers at a given time. The bulk of the data that we work with tends to be contextual uh, uh, data from our publisher network, what people are reading about uh, what they're researching, considering buying, discussing. Um, but some things we can't discern through that method. Uh, we, it's not so easy to understand, say, a person's gender or uh, their age. Increasingly so. It's hard right. to predict what, uh, what those might be. So certainly for that demographic information, we'll turn to a third party. And uh, more interestingly, when it comes to CRM data, uh, we can ingest that and uh, look for patterns, look for strategies, and then go out and find people who who look just like those customers. That's, yeah, I was wondering about that. So if it's the brand, the brand that's advertising, you can ingest their CRM data there, like transactional or first-party data about their customers? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a wonderful approach because... Of all the data out there, CRM tends to be some of the cleanest, most right. reliable data. Um, the The trick, of course, is in matching matching profiles because of the issues with PII and and other privacy concerns. 
the match tends to be pretty good, mm -hmm. and at that point, um, we can start to extrapolate all sorts of information based on the rich profiles that we have on our end, or to be fair, that, that other, um, other data providers might have that the business wouldn't have themselves. Okay. So the business might know address, they might know a basic demo, and of course they hopefully know what items uh, the, this individual has purchased or has shown interest in. We're coming back uh, providing context, providing motivation, uh, able to compare uh, the situations or characteristics of people who might choose one pro product over another. Uh, and, and just that in itself uh, yeah. proves to be very valuable. Of course, match, match that with, um, with some careful ad targeting and messaging and you've got a home run set up. Very good. One thing I noticed when I was doing some research, and it relates to what you were just saying, is that you tend to look not for the ideal customer, but for the ideal behavior. In other words, it's what you see out there that people are doing, presumably what you can tell about what they're about to do. That's what attracts your attention. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there are three basic layers when it comes to understanding, understanding a consumer uh, and, and more generally human behavior. There's the, there's the demographics, there's the basic situational factors, uh, which we started relying on. I guess in the 40s and 50s, right. it was very easy to understand. People were very predictable back then. Um, and, and I think our minds fundamentally are wired to understand people in that way. We describe somebody, uh, to, we, we might describe somebody in that way, starting with the demographics. It's, it, the, it's almost inverted in terms of predictive power, in terms of information. It, it offers you really very little there's, there's other than a few financial products. There's very little that's driven by demographics alone. Okay. The second layer would be uh, other types of characteristics and behaviors. Are they, uh, are they living in certain areas? Are they buying furniture? Are they uh, interested in going to a rock concert? That sort of thing. And from there, you're beginning to connect the dots. But to really connect the dots to what's driving an activity or a purchase behavior you have to start to understand the underlying motivation. So this is the use case, this is the value proposition, but fundamentally, what's the emotional underpinning of a decision to, to choose one product or another or, or to buy this product now and not next week? And we have to work you know, uh, alongside an agency and a brand to, to really understand that fundamental proposition. The data gets you really close, mm -hmm. much closer than, than just about any other approach. Uh, but most of my thinking, and I think most of the value add, is, is really just connecting that last, those last few dots and saying, well, this person is concerned about... Uh, you know, losing what they have, or this person is feeling like they want to rejuvenate their lives, whatever it may be. Okay. That's interesting. Now, there are obviously ways in which technology attempts to automate that kind of analysis. I'm thinking of sentiment analysis. Do you go as far as that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we use sentiment analysis primarily in uh, what, and I apologize to some people out there, but I would call it traditional social science research. Mm -hmm. So we recognized a few years ago that uh, big data can't solve every problem, and the more specific your query, the less likely it is that, that a big data approach will solve it. You, you just might not have it. So for something like sentiment analysis, it's, it's, it's expensive. It's often worth it. 
uh, it's especially worth it when you want to do an approach to solve a specific problem uh, and are willing to spend the resources to get it. So, for example, um, we use sentiment analysis to test certain creative messages. We use sentiment analysis to test our audience themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's a good, cheap analog at the big data, data level, um, but it's absolutely a technology that, that we've embraced, uh, not just in, in, um, in terms of language, but uh, we do sentiment analysis based on facial, facial coding, so the okay. way people... Yeah smile or, or twitch or bat their eye, it turns out to be very predictive. That's amazing. Yeah, I've seen some amazing uh, demonstrations of that kind of stuff. Uh, now, one thing we were talking about before we started was the customer journey, and I think everyone's familiar with the idea that the customer journey is not the linear thing that it used to be. And that's something that you're interested in analyzing and interpreting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's true that it's there's not a linear journey. It's more uh, that a story begins to unfold, and as it does, you become smarter and smarter about understanding where the customer's coming from and where they're headed. So uh, we did, um, just a few weeks ago, an analysis on people who are traveling to Las Vegas, <laughs> and there are some basic steps. Uh, there, there are some basic themes and patterns that people go through when they're booking travel. Right. I mean, there's, there's the inspiration, and then you take care of the, the, uh, the essentials, and then you sort of let your mind wander. But more importantly, starting with travel to Las Vegas, as the consumer journey unfolds, as we begin to learn more and more about that person, we can increasingly uh, predict, are they a business traveler, are they a leisure traveler, are they there for shopping, are they there for gambling? And obviously that's, that's incredibly relevant to travel providers or businesses in Las Vegas, not just to get that initial interest, mm -hmm. but to understand, again, the motivation of why people are going and, and what they'll be receptive to. And the context is really important, isn't it? Because I've been talking to people recently who are working with brands in the travel sector, and they emphasize that the same customer might have completely different needs and expectations if they're taking a business trip as opposed to if they're taking a family holiday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can speak to that myself. Uh, it, I, and that's, I think the, the reason we find the consumer journey such an interesting value proposition is it takes away this idea that you're going to take a single slice or a single layer or a single behavior and base your targeting and your messaging on that. Uh, it, instead of looking at intenders for Las Vegas or even business intenders for Las Vegas, uh, again, it's much more powerful to say these are business intenders for Las Vegas who aren't interested in renting a car. They're going to be using uh, Uber or Lyft or what have you. Uh, their, their booking has been paid for by the company, but they're going to be going out that night and hitting a bar or entertaining their clients or looking for golf courses. The, the, the more discreet, the more, uh, the more narrow you're able to understand what's within this person's uh, purchase view, the, the, the better off you are. And this, this may seem like a kind of a, you know, an obvious question, but I think it's one of the more difficult challenges. You, you know this person, you have a good understanding of their behavior, you see the context they're in. But how, do you, how do your messages follow them across channels and across devices? Oh, that's, I mean, that's a big question. <laughs> I thought it was. Uh, it's a big question technically. Uh, I, a lot of companies uh, are trying to 
connect the devices uh, uh, with with some success, and we've partnered with with one. Although I'm not sure it's uh, it's been announced yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll leave that to another discussion. It, okay. it, it can get very very naughty, and uh, <laughs> uh, I don't. There's very I, I've seen people heckled based on their approach to cross device targeting. Yeah, and to an extent, um, individuals have different behaviors based on their device. They're in a different mindset, uh, and so in some cases, cross device target cross device targeting is overpromised. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my personal opinion. Um, Yeah, we're going to watch that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's talk about another, I guess, buzzword, almost programmatic. You're executing, when you execute, you're executing in a programmatic environment, is that correct? Yeah, we do programmatic, definitely. I mean, you'd, you'd be crazy not to. Um, it's not a great environment, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as you begin to treat users or data as commodities you quickly go to uh, a lowest common denominator and it becomes a game of efficiency, which is fine for some advertisers and not for others. Right. So uh, uh, it's, not a, it's not a pretty example, but if you look at, uh, um, at meat and the various USDA grades, until we had started talking about organic and free range and, <laughs> and uh, humane meat, it was all the same and the, and the name of the game was just to make it as cheaply as possible. Right. I'm afraid that's, what happen- that's what's happening to data and to ad experiences in general. We're, we're trading them as a commodity and missing out on what sets them apart, what's make, what makes them unique. So to make a long story short, we, we do programmatic, we supplement what we do with programmatic. Okay. But our best experiences are in-house because we can control all the levers and all the influences that make something special. Interesting. It sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're you're talking about or you're you're implying that there may be some over-promising in that space because I've heard some people say they can do programmatic in an incredible, incredibly granular one-on-one way. You think that's an overreach? I'm sure it's possible. It's incredibly difficult to navigate. Right. The difference between the programmatic market and a financial market or a, 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 a commodities market is there's no regulator. There's no, uh, there's no authority. There's, there's very little required in terms of disclosure. And so from where I sit, which is a, a very privileged, fortunate space to sit in, uh, certainly when it comes to data, I can see these feeds come in uh, and and at times I'm just bewildered because they make no sense or they've been extended and modeled past the point of, of rationality. Okay. So the problem with programmatic is, you can, sure, you can get on this market, you can start bidding, you can start ingesting information, but if you don't have the ability to vet the information you're getting and have transparency into where your ads are going, well, then, then you become a fool for someone else's game. I see, and uh, certainly transparency into where the ads end up is another whole big discussion we could have. But we're running out of time, so just to finish up, is there anything um, we should talk about in terms of things coming up for Exponential? What's exciting you about what's coming down the road? So uh, we've have, we have years of experience when it comes to certain verticals. Uh, in part because of where we are geographically, but also the nature of our data uh, tends to be especially strong for 
for travel clients, for auto clients, uh, for certain retail and fast, fast casual clients. And my team has done a great deal of uh, research and analysis on what makes those consumers tick. The thing I'm excited about is we're starting to circle the loop in improving our contextualization, including our ad experience, even to the point of creating a custom ad experience for these verticals, for these products. Uh, again, it's the, when you have the full stack working and integrated, you can do, deliver much more value, you can deliver a better, more relevant experience. So, you know, look for, look for some developments along those lines this year and next. I'm really excited about them. Okay, Brian, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. And uh, everyone look out for the next one-on-one. -on -one.